All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of gathering together this evening, an evening that you've ordained from eternity past to our benefit and your glory, Father. Thank you for giving us of your Son. Thank you for reminding us that life is good, Father. Thank you for gracing us out, and thank you for giving us the time and the space and for being so patient with us as we learn these things. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this evening, but earnestly desire to be here. And we pray, of course, for those that are still lost in this world, Father, without hope. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence. I want to start by saying that life is good. Amen? Life is good. Why do I say that? Because God says it so. I mean, we can sit here and, you know, get all excited about sayings like that and, and all rejoice and be like, yeah, life is good. But you know what? God says it's good. And therefore it is. And that's a really important lesson. It sounds silly to state it out loud like that. Um, <clears throat> but we'll talk about this more this evening, that God says life is good. And that's really what matters. So let's read some Holy Scripture to find our assurance in this very fact. Go to John 5.21. John 5, verse 21. John 5, 21. Life is good. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Life is good. We believers are said to be in Christ, a phrase that Paul coined that makes perfect sense and resonates so completely in our souls. As Paul wrote, go to Ephesians 3.16. Ephesians 3, verse 16. We're going to survey a lot of Scripture this evening on a topic so profound. Really, that's the way to do it. Not a whole lot I can say except life is good. But I want you to know that God says it so. 
It's not just an emotion. It's not just something that we can sort of rally around. Um, it's real, and it's true, and it's righteous thinking. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. In other words, He works things on the inside. We're going to get to that in a bit as well. Again, uh, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge even, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Life is good. I think so. You know, to know Christ the way we do is to know that life is indeed very good. Go to John 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3. To know Christ the way we do is to know that life is very good. I think sometimes we just have to step back and remember the fundamentals. <clears throat> John 17, 3. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you. Up here on the board, we might say it this way, that knowing Christ is everything. Knowing Christ is everything. It's not enough to just know of Him or who He was historically or even what He died for. For the forgiveness, or even that he died for the forgiveness of sin. To know him is to know that life is good. Again, knowing Christ is everything. And I'm not talking about mere facts. There are a lot of people that know of Christ. They know who he is, who he was historically, but they don't know him. It's not enough just to know of him or who he was historically, or even that he died for the forgiveness of sin. To know him is to know that life is good. It's the supreme privilege in our lives, knowing Christ. Think of that privilege. Do we, do we become familiar with it? And in our familiarity, do we lose sight of the fact that life is good? I mean, as believers, we are called believers in Christ we are baptized into union with Him by the power of the Spirit. This is a supernatural relationship that we're in. We shouldn't forget that. So it's a supreme privilege in our lives to be in Christ and to know Him. If we abide in this type of thinking, which is really just unadulterated truth, right? I mean, this is all it is. It's, it's not rocket science to us. Uh, it's just the truth. And if we abide in this truth, uh, we are set free. 
We are set free. Now, with that as our backdrop, the Spirit's been encouraging us to think about the times in our lives where we've been exhausted, where life isn't so good, <laughs> where life doesn't seem to be so grand, where we've lost our way, where we've sacrificed on the altar of our flesh our own happiness, our own peace, our own contentment. We lose sight of the fact of what the Bible says. The Bible says that life is good. So the Spirit's been encouraging us to think about the times in our lives when we're exhausted and life you know, isn't so good. The obvious question, given what we just noted in Holy Scripture, is why? Why would we ever be exhausted in a bad way? We know we can be exhausted in a good way, but why would we ever be exhausted in a bad way? For even when we're completely wiped out, we have our perspective to cling to, right? Isn't that what it all comes down to? I was having a, a few conversations this past week um, where perspective is everything, that we have to remember just certain things. And if we lose sight of those things, we lose sight of the fact that life is good. And it's that, it's that easy. Um, there's a thousand and one potholes out there and pitfalls. So even if we're completely wiped out, we have our perspective to cling to. Um, personally, I had to go back and read one of my own blogs this past week just to be delivered from poor perspective and a period of real misery. Of real misery. I'm not kidding you. I had to go back. God the Holy Spirit rolled me over first thing in the morning and said, hey, dummy, you've been here before. You haven't even, it hasn't even been that long. Go read your own blog. And you know what? I had to go dig out my own blog on my phone, and I sat there and read it, and I went, oh, and it was literally that quick and that simple. And I was delivered like that. Just a change of perspective. All I needed was a jolt and a change of perspective that only the Word of God could have provided. And once I got it, my entire outlook on life changed in an instant. Yeah, I was cranky and miserable. And it took this that long. Literally that long. Go to Philippians 1.21. Philippians 1.21. So don't feel bad if you end up like that um, in a state where you're just, you know, in a mood. Um, or you're in a funk, as some might call it. It happens to the best of us. Um, all I can tell you is that it can be changed in a, in a moment with just a change of perspective. And the quickest, easiest way to do that is to read the Word of God. Philippians 1.21, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How about that for an attitude? How about I'm here to do work? I've been yoked up. I'm here to do work. I'm showing up for service. Whatever you want from me, Lord, life is good. You saved me. I'll do whatever for you now. Life is good. For to me, to live is for you. To die, that's profit. Can't wait to see you. Uh, 
but I'm down here now and I'm going to live this life the way you want me to live it, which is with this attitude that life is good. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, Paul was living for others. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So you see, Paul was glad to exhaust himself for the sake of others in a good way. And this is the attitude, the let's call it the life is good attitude. This is the life is good attitude um, that the Spirit's been imparting to all of us. And really all it is is just a matter of perspective, remembering where we came from, remembering what Jesus is to us, how we have been made to be in union with him. Uh, life is good. Go to Philippians 2.14. Philippians 2, verse 14. So if life is good, here's some good counsel as well. <clears throat> Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So let's reflect on this. To be a believer in Christ and walk around with your head down means something is seriously awry. To be a believer and to walk with your head down means something is seriously awry in your soul because that's not what God says life is. Life is not about doldrums. Life is not about hanging your head low or being uh, even depressed or anxious or worried or any of that stuff that brings us low. That's not what life should be for us. And so to walk around with our head down uh, means something's wrong. Uh, and I don't say that with any, uh, even a modicum of, of condemnation. I, I say that with love and respect that if you're down like that, it just means you need your perspective changed. It doesn't even mean that you don't have the knowledge of Christ or the the, the proper awareness of Holy Scripture. It just means you've lost sight of it. That's usually what it is. It's your God-given privilege to walk as a co-victor with Christ Jesus. A God-given privilege. And the darn kingdom of darkness will try to convince you that you're a loser or a hopeless cause in this world. But those are all the lies designed to keep you down. Those are just lies. Remember that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ himself chose to die for you personally. Just remember that. He chose it. He didn't say, oh, I guess I'll do it since I'm already here. He said, 
I'm choosing Tammy. I'm choosing Joseph. I'm, I'm just choosing my family. I'm choosing Ed. I'm being a wise guy. You guys can laugh, right? I'm just choosing my family, right? I'm choosing all of you. I don't want, because if I say anybody else, people get all, why don't you pick me? I chose you. Remember that, that Jesus Christ chose you personally. In other words, you were very much worth it to him. Think about that. You were very much worth it to him personally. Just think about that. I mean, anybody ever been in a situation where you think nobody cares? Like nobody? Even the people that maybe live with you? I'm not saying this happens in my house, but you know what I'm saying, right? You just get in one of those funks and you're like, nobody gives a crap. Well, you know what? Jesus did so much that he died for you. And if you were the only one, he would have died just for you. Why? Because you're worth it to him. Isn't that enough? You were worth it to him. Think about it. If the holy God of the universe becomes a man and dies for you, isn't it a fair conclusion that he's proven to you that you're worth it to him? And if you're worthy of his love, shouldn't you be worthy of your own? If you're worthy of his love, He's perfect. And He chose you, knowing how ridiculous you are. If He considered you worthy, if you're worthy of His love, shouldn't you be worthy of your own? I mean, where does all this self-loathing come from nowadays in the lives of believers? The flesh? Yeah. Indeed. The flesh. So let me ask you this, if it's from the flesh, then it isn't from God, is it? If it's from the flesh, then it isn't from God. Take pause on that. If self-loathing is a fleshly thing, then it cannot be from God. Let's read some scripture for some more encouragement. Go to Romans 8 verse 1. Romans 8, verse 1. Life is good. Life is good. Romans 8, 1. All this self-loathing, throw it in the garbage can. <clears throat> Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Self-loathing, all that kind of garbage, 
That's your mind set on fleshly things, which brings you right back to death. To set the mind on the spirit is tantamount to saying pretty much the point on the board. That knowing Christ is everything. It's not enough just to know of him or who he was historically, or even that he died for the forgiveness of sin. To know him is to know that life is good. Just a little more perspective before we move on. Go to Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. Hope you see what the Spirit's doing. Again, we're just surveying Scripture. Galatians 2, verse 20. Obviously, uh, some or all of you needed to hear this message to be built up, to be edified. Uh, I never know exactly. I have my ideas, but Galatians 2.20. I know I surely could use it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see how personal that is? That makes life good. He loved me and gave himself for me. You can insert your own self in that statement. Who loved you and gave himself for you. Life is good. Whether or not you personally are even convinced of this truth yet. I'm going to say that again. Life is good. Whether or not you personally are even convinced of this truth yet. That is a fact. Life is good. That is a fact. Whether you realize it or not is beside the point. I pray that you do realize it, but I know that some of you don't. And I know that even the best of us can lose sight of this one simple fact, that life is good. It's not a, um, it's non-negotiable. Even when you're in a mood, you know what? Life is still good. You might be disjoint from that good thing, but life is good. Think about that. Since it is true, we are encouraged to abide in it and be set free. Up here on the board, Ephesians 4.1 Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You have been called to a good life. Walk in it. That's not always a negative thing, you know. It's not always, hey, walk in a manner worthy. It's an encouraging thing. It's more the staff of a shepherd. Hey, you have every right to walk in a manner worthy in a sense that life is good. Be encouraged. Embrace it. Love it. Don't listen to the lies of the world. Concentrate. Let's say for some awful reason you don't consider yourself a worthy cause. You still haven't gotten over that speed bump or that hurdle yet in your life. You're still um, self-loathing or living in lies of old remnants, uh, vestiges of sin, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Let's just say deep down you still don't consider yourself a worthy cause. Then maybe it's an easier pathway to freedom to consider others your cause. 
maybe it's an easier pathway for your own freedom to consider others your cause. In other words, maybe you don't see it in yourself. Maybe that's a personal thing you, you struggle with. Maybe you focus on others. Maybe you, you turn your attention towards others. Maybe an easier pathway to this freedom uh, is to consider others worthy, a worthy cause, so to speak. Ever think of that? In other words, maybe it's easier to avoid focusing on yourself all the time and turn your attention to others. Instead of trying to, you know, fix yourself, you hand that process over to God. And while He's working on you, you're focused on others. Sounds like an economy of sorts, doesn't it? Sounds like an economy. As if what the Bible teaches us about grace is really true. That we aren't to hoard it, but rather, upon receiving it, consider it an opportunity to give it to others. There's an old friend from a message, a recent message on this topic from Luke 6.38 appeared on the board. Give and it will be given to you. This is a promise regarding grace. If we allow God's grace to flow through us, we are blessed. Proverbs 11.24-25 Love gives. John 15.12-13 The summary from that same message, if you remember, was this up here on the board. This is the way that grace works. We are sanctified when we are gracious toward others. We are sanctified when we're gracious towards others. When we lay down our lives for others. When we esteem others as more important than ourselves. When we get out of our own way. When we stop focusing on us and us and me and I and me and I and it's always me, me, me. It's always in the mirror. It's always me, oh my. It's always this thing. It's always this hyper-focus on self. Well, the Bible tells us that we're sanctified when we're gracious toward others. And I really hope you don't lose sight of such incredible or incredibly freeing principles. They give us that ever-valuable perspective that we all need for the sake of deliverance. Living for others is the perfect way to slot into the good life. Living for others is the perfect way to slot into the good life. If at the start of class you were one of the people in the privacy of your own soul, said, yeah, sounds like a great thing there, ball guy. Life is good, yay. I'm not feeling it. Well, maybe you should live for others. Maybe Jesus Christ was on to something. Maybe all this encouragement in the Bible is there for a reason. Maybe if you stop focusing so much on yourself and you stop focusing on others, you would realize how good life actually is, that you have the privilege to lay down your life for others. He didn't have to give you that privilege, you see. He gave you your life. All of you are breathing. You all look pretty well fed, I'm just saying. Right? None of you, you all, you're all here. Um, he didn't have to even do that. You have the opportunity 
to live for others. You have the opportunity to be like Christ. Proverbs 11, 24, 25 in the message, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. That's the Word of God. That's what God's economy looks like. That's how we are purpose-built in Christ Jesus. We are Christians. Jesus Christ showed us the way. Greater love is known than this, and he laid out his life for his friends. That's the way. If you want to live that abundant life, a grace-filled life, you live for others. That in of itself, that privilege, you see it takes you out of the picture. I hate being in the picture. I hate it. As soon as I get in the picture, as soon as I'm right here in front of myself, I'm not happy. I say, get the hell out of the way. You ugly, selfish, bratty little thing. Get out of here. That's what I say to myself. Get out of here. Because as soon as I stop focusing on myself, all bets are off. I start, I don't, I don't like any of you. Honest to goodness, that's how it happens. I start, I start having like a disdain for the world. It's the, it's the, it's, it's, and it's clockwork. And don't forget, to whom much is given, much is required. He expects a lot of me in this post. So when I veer off a little bit, it's like a multiplier effect. I get hammered, okay? So don't go getting all judgmental on me. <laughs> uh, this is how grace works. We're supposed to live for others. The great blessings in life are, is, is to live for others. So here's a challenge for you. Ask yourself, is your priority in life? Now just ask yourself to, and be honest. The Spirit's got you where He wants you right now. Be honest. Is your priority in life to help yourself or to help others? I mean your absolute priority. Is it to help yourself or is it to help others? On Sunday, the Spirit talked a lot about attitude and motivation, and he didn't just leave it at that, but rather he tied it directly to our own peace and happiness. He said, if you really want peace and happiness, you have to have good attitude. You can, be, you can have bad attitude, do a good thing, and be exhausted in a bad way. You can have a good attitude, do the same thing, and be exhausted in a good way. Your attitude is everything. And so the Spirit really asked us to look at and examine our attitudes and our motivation. And he said, I'm going to tie that directly to your own peace and happiness. As we just noted in God's economy, grace is given so that it, so that it can be given. In God's economy, grace is given so that it can be given. And that's the blessing. That's the blessing. If uh, in an awfully short changing of God's grace, if I gave you a thousand dollars, not going to happen. If I gave you a thousand dollars right now and I said you can't keep it, I want you to go give a hundred dollars to ten different people that are in need. Would you not be blessed? Of course you would. That's how grace works. What if you said, "He's not looking. 
and you went and you bought yourself something stupid. Are you blessed or not? This is the same thing. Grace is given so that it can be given. And when you give, you're blessed. In other words, grace is given to us in abundance, but we can mess up our own blessings by hoarding it. This week's blog is titled Self versus Others Preservation. Self dash versus Others Preservation. And it addresses this very topic. People who are stuck in self-preservation mode have wonky priorities that essentially preclude the blessings that come with living for others. So I want to give you an analogy, and I, uh, forgive me for the uh, imperfection of it, but uh, hopefully you can see that. Can you see? That's a gristmill. You know what a gristmill is? It basically has a big water wheel, and it turns, and it's on an axle, and then it goes, the axle goes into the building, and it turns a big wheel, right? Hits some gears, turns a big wheel, you put corn on it, and make cornmeal, okay? So the whole idea is that water comes, hits this wheel, turns the wheel, and things happen that are good, Okay? Grace is sort of like the water that turns the water wheel. The water uses its inherent energy to turn the wheel, which activates and energizes a bunch of useful stuff inside the gristmill. And this is analogous to how God's Word, sometimes referred to as water, does work in us by grace. So we are like the gristmill in the sense that as water is poured out in abundance, it does great work inside of us. But the water doesn't stick around, does it? If you know anything about the way a gristmill works, the water catches in the buckets, and then it goes down into the reservoir. It doesn't stick around. It does work. But the water, the grace, doesn't stick around. It travels on by just like grace. If the innards of the gristmill become bound up, the water wheel locks up and nothing good happens. Things are broken and unproductive at this point. So we must ensure that we allow the grace that God pours into our lives to pass through so that it can perform its good work in us. If we reroute the water to a tub or a basin, the wheel doesn't turn. If we try to hoard it, the wheel doesn't turn. If we hamper how grace is meant to function, we miss out on the intended work God promises to complete on the inside. Again, that's our principle up here on the board. Give, and it will be given to you. Luke 6.38 This is a promise regarding grace. If we allow God's grace to flow through us, we are blessed. Love gives. Not the best analogy, but food for thought. Some of you just need to shake off a few lies you've been saddled with or have been living with. And once you do, you'll find your priorities will change drastically. Once you do, your priorities will change drastically. You are not... Uh, let me say this with a grain of salt. You're not the most important person in the world. Do you understand? From your perspective especially if you've got responsibilities in your life. You're supposed to be laying down your life 
for others. That means to put others before yourself. Now, that doesn't come at the cost of not taking care of your vineyard. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But you're not supposed to be your own best idol. You're not supposed to be front and center all the time. As a matter of fact, what the Bible says, if that happens, you will be miserable. Because now you're not living for others. If you're so focused on yourself, you're probably not even focused on Christ. Never mind others. So once you rid yourself of these lies that you're, you know, you're the most important person on the planet, you know, that egocentrism that the world likes to peddle. Once you rid yourselves of those things, what you'll find is your priorities will change drastically. And it's to your own good. You begin to realize that your purpose here on earth isn't your own even to dictate. You begin to realize that it's by God's grace and for God's grace, not just by God's grace, but for God's grace that you have been left here after salvation. And you'll begin to see the forest through the trees that living for others is the great blessing in time. Living for others is the great blessing in time. I cannot stress that enough. Living for others is the great blessing in time. For those of you who still don't believe it, maybe you should try it. The only thing I can tell you is you haven't tried it yet. Because God's not a liar. And if you don't believe what I just said, that's your proof. You haven't really tried it yet. And maybe if you have tried it, you've dabbled in it, done a few good things, you know, walked an old lady across the street, pulled a few weeds out in the parking lot here, said a few nice things at church, you know, you know, checked off the religious boxes. You haven't really tried it yet because I'm talking about a mindset. I'm talking about an attitude. I'm talking about something that literally delivers you from yourself, from your own misery. Living for others is the great blessing in time. Once you realize these things, your priorities change. Here's an old friend from a previous message on the topic of priorities. What you think about your limited time here on earth sets your priorities in life. Priorities dictate where we spend our energy and ultimately whether our fruit is good or bad. Being exhausted even isn't the litmus test. It's how you ended up that way. Living for others, I guarantee you, you will be tired some days. I'm tired right now. Who am I living for? You. Right? Is it a good tide? Absolutely. It's good work. It's good labor. I'll go home and I'll go pass out after. Still not even well. And it's good. That's a good thing. But if my attitude sucked, then I go home and I'm miserable. I can go home and sleep tonight. But if my attitude's terrible, I go home and I'm miserable and I don't sleep hardly at all. Being exhausted isn't the litmus test. It's how you ended up that way. So, the Spirit on Sunday asked us to evaluate our priorities in life. Something we ought to be doing regularly anyways. And having the benchmark of the Word of God as the measuring stick is what really matters. Do not evaluate your life against your stupid neighbors. Definitely not against the Joneses or anybody else who you think you might be competing with. Do not evaluate yourself 
against anything but the Word of God. It's the only benchmark that matters. People's opinions of you don't even matter. It's what Christ thinks of you. Are you living for others? Are you abiding in my love? Is life good as a result? Or are you just trudging along? So having the benchmark of the Word of God as the measuring stick is what really matters. And if you think about it, it's very gracious of God to even give us this benchmark. In many ways, we're much more blessed than the Old Testament saints because we have the completed canon. Think about that. You have the whole Bible available to you. Old Testament saints didn't. You have, you have an incredible resource right here. Everything you really need to know about life itself is right here. And some, of, some, some Christians use this thing more like a, a coaster for their beer than they do actually open it up and read it. And then they wonder. Life's not good for them. I wonder why. One of the blessings is as follows up here on the board. God's grace in terms of that measuring stick, the yardstick of the Word of God. God is prepared to reveal to each of us in the context of our own lives, anything that takes us away from Him, excuse me, experientially, Philippians 3.15. God is prepared to reveal to each of us, in the context of our own lives, anything that takes us away from Him, experientially. As the Spirit stated emphatically on Sunday, when you see it all as truth, you are sanctified. When you see it all as truth, you are sanctified. Up here on the board, Ephesians 5, 13 to 14. This is the favor that the Word of God does to us, for us. We read it. We see the truth. We're set free. We see the truth about ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it's all light because it's all truth. We may have to deal with certain things, but nonetheless, it's all light because it's all truth. And if you're humble, you're set free by it. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So, you're a grist mill. Is your water wheel turning? Are good things happening in your life? Or are you stunted? If grace is flowing through you the way it is intended by God... For example, you receive His grace and then pour it out on others. Then you might say, yes, yes, life is good. And I know that's the case for some of you. But if you're stuck in self-preservation mode, the gristmill is at a standstill and you reap little, if not nothing. Go to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Is the water wheel turning? Are things happening in you? Is grace having its desired effect in you? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants you to be cheerful about laying down the greatest asset you have, which is you. He wants you to be cheerful about that. He loves you for it when you do. As the Spirit emphasized on Sunday, the very best we have to give is us. Romans 12.1, your entire self, lay that down up here on the board. God loves a cheerful giver. This special love of God for cheerful givers describes blessings targeted, targeted for those with a good attitude about living for others, those whose eyes are so much on Christ that they can't be on self. God loves that person, has a special love for that person. Up here on the board. Just remember that God is glorified by blessing you out. He loves to pour grace into your lap and have you turn right around and pour it into your neighbors. He loves to see that. He loves a cheerful giver. He loves to see that water wheel on full bore. He loves it because what's going on in the inside of you even, and even what's going on in the inside of you brings glory to Him. And you're grateful. Think of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, right? Pray without ceasing. Be, give gratitude for everything. Thanksgiving for everything. How does that happen? When that wheel is pumping, baby. When you know that He's gracing you out and He's churning things out on the inside and you are so very grateful. Because it doesn't matter what's going on in the outside, does it? It doesn't matter. And you figure out, hey, wait a minute, I can sleep in the bow of the boat just like Jesus did. Even though the crap is hitting the fan in my life. People are blowing up left and right. People are nuts. And I'm going to go to bed right now. I'm going to go to sleep. And there's a huge storm bursting over the bow of the ship that I'm on. But I'm going to be like Jesus. And God is totally glorified by that. Totally, utterly glorified by that. Because that's His good work in you doesn't happen if that wheel is going and you've redirected it into some tub so you know you can eat more drumsticks and I don't know, go on more vacations or something, I don't know, whatever God is glorified by blessing you out He loves to pour grace into your lap so that you can turn around and pour it into your neighbors it's a beautiful thing, that's what an economy is it's fluid, it's dynamic that's how he activates grace in general in this world. That's why I always refer to it as an economy. So here's where we ended on Sunday, up here on the board. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Well, the very best you have, you know what, is you. The Spirit even sprinkled in a little bit of presence. The best of you is for you to be present in someone else's life. To be there when it matters. To be there when it counts. To lay down your life when it matters most. Not when it's convenient. When it matters to them. I know that's a maturity principle for some of you. But that's what it comes down to. It matters when they need you. Not when you're available for their needs. There's a totally different 
story there. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, with what little time we have left and with that attitude in mind, let's read some more scripture and see how this attitude is pleasing to God. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5, 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we, were, we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And this is our attitude that brings glory to God. Whatever is pleasing to you, Lord, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Be encouraged, my friends. Go to 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Please be encouraged. Life is good. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That is a picture of God's economy. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, that grace overflows in you so that you're able to do every good work. Just a few more passages and then I'll close. Here's some perspective on who we uh, ought to be pleasing to up here on the board. Galatians 1.10 in the Amplified. Am I now trying to win the favor and approval of men or of God? Or am I seeking to please someone? If I was still trying to be popular with men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, Part B. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. One more passage for some perspective on who we ought to be pleasing to. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 4, 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. You see, don't be satisfied. Don't say, yay, life is good and that's the end of it. No, do more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. What is it? Your sanctification up here on the board. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Any questions? God's intention for us 
is simply stated is to be sanctified, set apart for his purposes on earth. This requires two things from us, humility and obedience. If you're present or if we're present with him, we reap unimaginable blessings. Let's go to one more verse before we close. Go to Matthew 6.26. Matthew 6, verse 26. Matthew 6, verse 26. Just to put things into perspective, life is good. God loves you with a love you can't even imagine. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do you know how valuable you are to the Lord God? That's the question. When you realize that, when you remember what he's done and what he's accomplished for you, uh, not just at the cross, but even afterwards in sanctification, you can't help but realize that life is good. The Bible clearly states that our Father in Heaven desires to bless our socks off. Why, pray tell, aren't we all in? That is the question we each must answer for ourselves because our sanctification depends upon it. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this walk through Scripture this evening. Father, thank you so much for reminding us that life is good, not because we can see it or realize it, because it's a fact. Thank you for setting that straight in our souls, Father, and thank you for giving us hope uh, in time, something to live for, a purpose in our lives, Father. We're so grateful for all that you do by grace, Father. Thank you for your love. We just ask for your blessings as we take these things back to the privacy of our own souls and our homes and then possibly out to a world that needs truth so desperately, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.